Hey everybody, it's Ellen Weatherford. And Christian Weatherford. We're here with just the zoo of us. This is our 100th episode. Oh, I didn't bring my party popper in here. If this is your first time joining us, this is not a great episode for you to start with. Mm-mm. No. <laughs> you, usually we review animals and rate them out of 10 in the categories of effectiveness, ingenuity, and aesthetics, but that's not what we're doing this week. Nope, not at all. No, this week we're kicking it and chilling with some questions from our listeners. Always fun. Yeah, because I feel like the listeners are really what make the show, you know? For sure. It's the reason we do it. It is. We keep showing up every week. Well, I keep showing up every week. (laughs) (laughs) Me every... uh, Sometimes. Three-ish Every once in a while. (laughs) Uh, You pop in from time to time. Yep. But as much as I love talking to you about animals, it's for for the listeners. It is. It's for all of you. And so... Uh, this week, it's more of a two-way conversation because y'all submitted some awesome questions to us on social media, so we'll be answering them today. Oh, and you know what? Last year, we did a Q&A episode for our first anniversary, and at that Q&A episode, I did a little update where I talked about like how the show was doing mm-hmm. and how things were going. At that update, I want to say we were like right around 20,000 uh, listens to the podcast, uh, we're currently at 78,000 listens. Nice. Yeah. So quite a lot of growth yes. over the last year. It's going quite well, and I'm tremendously pleased. Couldn't have asked for a more fulfilling journey. It's exciting. Making this podcast with you, my favorite person. Oh. <laughs> so uh, do you want to get right into the questions? I suppose so. Okay. I guess we cheated a little bit because we organized these questions and prepared our answers ahead of time. True. Because we do have a small baby um, and he's sleeping right now. And so we had to kind of give ourselves time ahead of time to think about how we wanted to answer these questions. So you're only getting like good stuff. (laughs) We've had some time to marinate in these responses. Yeah. (laughs) Our first question comes to us from Twitter. This is from our friend, Sophie Ann. Thank you, Sophie Ann. You're so nice to us. You pop up on our Twitter all the time and you're amazing. Which animal could dominate the world if they, A, had opposable thumbs, or B, were 10 times their current size? So my answer for this is like any octopus, any octopus, Hmm. maybe any cephalopod. I feel like cuttlefish maybe have it down. No, I don't think squids could do it, but I think any octopus could easily, if an octopus were 10 times their size, they do not need thumbs. They really don't. They've they've already got the dexterity covered, but Mm -hmm. if they were like 10 times their current size, they have the intelligence, they have the dexterity that if they were also huge, I think they would definitely give humans a run for their money. So that's my answer is octopus. Okay. Yeah. What you got? So I spent a lot a lot of time thinking about this one. You did spend a lot of time thinking about it. <laughs> and I think about this this subject a lot in terms of what about humans has us where we stand currently in the pickings. And my honest answer is I don't think there's any animal out there that adding either of these traits would do it with. Mm-hmm. But if I had to pick one, maybe corvids? They seem like they could get angry enough. Mm-hmm. And be able to figure us out. And they live so closely, like, alongside us that they've been watching us all this time. And they right. know they know our routines. They mm-hmm. know what makes us tick. Yeah, yeah. Because I think our biggest traits that have us where we are in terms of species has more to do with our thought processes than anything. Mm-hmm. And they have some similar, uh, you know, a lot of things that give us advantages are things like the way we work together mm-hmm. with other humans. 
crows and ravens and magpies they all do that yeah like work together as a team um and like share information amongst each other like that's something that we do that they do i was also thinking of this question not so much as humans being overthrown but just what if humans were no were not here what Mm. would what would fill in that niche yeah i could see that i wonder if like the corvids have been learning from us all along. (laughs) They're like doing things that they saw us do. And to specify, I think for the four Corvids, I was more going along the route of the thumbs, not so much the size. Oh, so you think if they did have the thumbs, they could, where would a thumb go on a raven? (laughs) Just give me that real quick. Where are you putting the thumb? Because this is going to drastically change the way that I feel about your answer. (laughs) Feet. Okay. (laughs) because <laughs> if you look at the structure on a corvid that is analogous to yeah. the hands of a human it's the wings yeah it would be like kind of where bats have those little digits yeah. a little nub yeah. i don't think that would help the bird very much <laughs> at all if it just had a little thumb dangling off the edge there well I, I don't know i didn't see sizes coming in because like for example you know animals in the ocean that are huge cannot leave the ocean not just because they lack the mobility but because the pressures and gravity upon them without buoyancy of water Usually it will kill them. I get that. I have seen videos of octopus leaving the ocean for brief periods of time. Yeah. I don't think it's like a size problem for them. I think it's more of just like a respiratory issue for them. Yeah. They can't spend that long out of the water. But yeah, that's a good answer. I think we could spend all day on this question. Yeah. We got to move on. Yeah. <laughs> um, our next question also comes from Twitter. You know what? I'm just going to say right now that like I kind of grouped these all together by the social media platform they came from. Sure. So I'm doing Twitter questions first. Okay. So our next question uh, also from Twitter comes from Liv, mm-hmm. uh, who has also become quite a good friend and is amazing. Hi, Liv. Liv asks, what are your favorite and least favorite animals that you've covered? Um, my answer is that uh, naturally just going to get out of the way. I couldn't possibly pick a favorite, but you know, you're making me pick. So the one that I've covered that I think just has the best vibes is the capybara. I just find myself coming back to that one a lot when I need something nice and happy to think about, you know, like if you just need an animal, that's like a comfort animal that you need to just like think about to like lower your blood pressure a little bit and Mm. just feel good. Like, it's going to be the capybara, but I, what I can pick is a least favorite and my least favorite that I haven't covered, but you have is the botfly. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Why is that Ellen? Because <laughs> suck. <laughs> Literally. Uh, more like drilled. What's your answer, Christian? Um, so to kind of turn around on you, my favorite was the botfly actually. All right. Because it kind of set my brand it did it did it set a lot of expectations for you you like to cover the animals that have a little bit of edge to them the uncomfortable ones yeah the uncomfortable ones you like to do like (laughs) the venomous ones and the icky ones yeah yeah and that's always been fun i know seems to be well received it does you know what i think it is it's Mm. that you have such a chill vibe about you and like (laughs) such a calming demeanor and like a, just a relaxed disposition that it creates a very interesting effect when combined with an absolutely revolting beast from hell that, <laughs> that you talk about, you know, like it's an interesting effect. Well, thank you. <laughs> and, and then to pick my least favorite, I couldn't think of a specific one. I just find my, my least favorite ones to do are the ones that are the hardest ones to find information about. Mm-hmm. Those can be really frustrating. Yeah. Especially my tendency to 
do my research in a day or so. <laughs> so it's not like, um, it's not like I'm personally reaching out to experts or, you know, looking to physical resources. It's all mm-hmm. internet based for mine. Right. And some of them, it's like, you really want to talk about an animal because they're really, really cool, but like, there's just not a ton of information about them. Yeah. So it's like, we know the one cool thing about them, but everything else is a total mystery, you know? Like, yeah. Maybe that's something we could do. Find some animals we want to talk about, but mm-hmm. can only find one or two things and then just kind of make a little grouping of those. Just a lightning round. Yeah. We're just like, boom, boom, boom. These are the <laughs> cool animals that we can't stretch into a whole episode. <laughs> that's a good idea. Yeah, we could do that. Uh, next question comes also from Twitter. This is from our friend Dachmar, who uh, joined us for the Archerfish episode. Yes. This was our, our guest expert for the Archerfish, which comes as no surprise that Dachmar's question was, favorite kind of fish and she also included in her question and why is it the archer fish so, <laughs> um but i'm interpreting the question more broadly as to what is your favorite kind of fish so aside from the archer fish of course i'm gonna say sea dragons okay. um sea dragons and their relatives the seahorses and i guess pipefish too like I, just because they're like in that group i'm actually pretty afraid of fish uh, I've mentioned that a few times in the past. I'm very nervous interacting with fish. I don't like to be in the water with fish. I don't like it when fish are out of the water with me. I don't really like to be around fish. They make me kind of nervous. Um, but I do really like sea dragons. Hmm. I love them. They have such like they they're not like flapping around like. I was other about to fish. say that's probably the least fishy fish you could have picked. I think that's why <laughs> is that it really just is kind of an oddball in yeah. the fish world. So I just really like it. I would say the sea dragon is a good one. Okay, leafy sea dragon, so beautiful. Oh yes, yeah, lovely. Well, how about you? Mine, uh, kind of general sharks. That's just always been an interest of mine since being a little kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a close second would be rays. And I I think there's a grouping that has those both together. Elasmobranchs, okay. yeah. They're both like cartilaginous mm-hmm. and more related to each other than they are to fish. But then like sharks aren't any closer related to fish than like we are. <laughs> like we're more closely related to some types of fish than sharks are. So like it's kind of yeah. like that whole grouping is a little bit like when we use the word fish, we use it in the common understanding of the word fish. Sure. Like, I get that the word fish is not cladistically valid, <laughs> yeah, but you if, get what we mean. <laughs> if you whip out a you know a, a taxonomical graph and say, "All right, circle all the fish," mm-hmm. <laughs> it's going to be a hard time, right? Yeah, it's, it's not going to be fun. <laughs> but um, but yeah, sharks sharks have always been an interest of mine, and they also kind of hold of a, an interesting place in culture in terms of media mm-hmm. uh, and that kind of evolution across recent decades. All very interesting. Yeah, sharks have had kind of a PR turnaround, I think. It's yep. worked really well for them. They've mm-hmm. had, they've made great strides in oh, yeah. perception of sharks. We've come a long way from Jaws. Yep. Yep. Although I know there's a lot of work to be done. It's nice to see improvement. Yeah. Especially among like younger people. I feel like people my age totally chill with sharks. Yeah. Like my age and younger sharks are just like, just friends. Yeah. You love them. <laughs> I would say among the sharks, my favorite is the whale shark. I'm sorry. Maybe it's a little basic, but like I love whale sharks. <laughs> they're nice. Oh, they're amazing. Uh, next question is from Sandman Stories Presents uh, from Twitter. They asked, favorite busted animal myth? My favorite myth that I think we've busted had a lot to do with the opossums episode. I really like digging into animals that are just native wildlife 
that get labeled as pests. Mm -hmm. So opossums being one of them. And they have a reputation for just being very dirty and being disease carriers. Um, But they're actually, it's not impossible, but it's highly unlikely that they could carry or transmit rabies due to the fact that they have a lower body temperature than like any other mammal in the world. Mm. And their body temperature is so low that the rabies virus can't even stay alive in their body. So they have this reputation for spreading rabies, but if you actually, you know, look into them, they really almost can't have rabies. Yeah. Um, And they're like one of the only mammals in the world that has this sort of resistance to rabies. So very cool. They're also great to have around because they eat ticks. Um, They eat a lot of other bugs that are very much bigger nuisances to humans. Mm -hmm. And then another one is pigeons. Pigeons are like really, really smart. They're extremely intelligent great visual learners they're super smart and i think a lot of times pigeons are depicted as just kind of like really dumb you know they're just kind of i'm thinking of like the chicken from moana how they're just like no thoughts head empty you know but pigeons are really smart so that one was a a fun journey for me to learn about yeah for sure what about you when i first saw this question i was thinking about going the way of behavioral myths Mm -hmm. like how you know some animals have a a rap for being aggressive but they're not um i decided to go differently though with like a physical thing Mm -hmm. so i want to talk to about the platypus okay (laughs) (laughs) um i just think it's interesting that despite how they're often portrayed in media particularly drawn or animated they do not have beaver tails why is that like no idea who started drawing them with beaver tails (laughs) i wonder if this is an acutely american thing like if this is just in american media we seem to think they have beaver tails for some reason i don't know it's uh, i don't know maybe someone at some point described them as being beaver tail like but they meant the shape and not the texture or anything else for that matter but it's not even that either it's like a paddle basically i guess yeah so yeah that ruins phineas and ferb for me every time i see it yeah Uh, (laughs) it's hard to look at once you kind of know that yeah it's got like a he's got like a waffle for a tail yeah it's so weird Mm -hmm. why do they do that i wonder i would love to hear if you live in australia and you are familiar with australian cartoons that depict platypus please let me know if they do the tails right or for some reason they because beavers are a north american mammal right so like why that's why I think it came from someone trying to describe it to a North American audience. Maybe. That is a weird one. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad that we like know that. It also does make Phineas and Ferb less enjoyable for me. It, it <laughs> but not by on. much. It's, not, it's still a cute show. Yeah. Um, so the next question comes from our friends at the Bewilder Beasts podcast. Also from Twitter. The question is, what was a fact, animal, or piece that stuck out for each of you? The thing that you didn't know going in that really stayed with you. So I've had quite a lot of these. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm constantly sharing little bits of things from my research that I've done, like, in wildly inappropriate settings. Um, I'm very popular at social events. (laughs) So the thing that, like, popped out in my brain with this question was the evolution of flightless birds. So, like, um, ratites and penguins. Uh, It was really interesting to me that they had this story of evolving from terrestrial dinosaurs that just ran around on the ground Mm -hmm. to birds that flew in the sky. And then 
back down to the ground. Like they had <laughs> this power of flight that to humans, I guess, seems like the most overpowered ability imaginable. Mm-hmm. Like, why would you want to give that up? But they were just responding to what was going on in their environment, you know, like yeah. evolving according to like where the predators were. Like if there were predators on the ground, they'd start flying. If there's no predators on the ground, they move down to the ground. And because it's so energetically expensive to fly so they would just it was easier yeah. to walk and there's a big trade-off right with mm-hmm. the characteristics that are needed to fly like you know yeah. low, low bone density and all the stuff yeah so you know just responding to the ecosystem around them and like deciding to just give up flight to be better on the ground that's really cool to me and then that ties into also natural history i didn't really know a lot about like how geology affects the evolution of animals. Hmm. I find it really interesting looking into the way that the movement of the continents throughout the history of the earth affects the dispersal of animal species, right? So something that we talked about that blew my mind was marsupials. And that the reason we have opossums in North America is not that they came up through Beringia, like a lot of other animals, but they came down through South America where they were because South America used to be on a supercontinent with Australia Mm. and they came up from the South instead of across the North, like a lot of other animals in North America did. So like thinking about how like animals can get into the craziest places because of the continents drifting apart over millions of years. That is really wild to me. Yeah. Very cool. Mm -hmm. What's yours? For me, it was learning a little bit about how the eyes of owls work. It is so weird. Yeah. It's not like how you expect it to be. Yeah. So the fact that, you know, they're cone shaped, like they're not eyeballs, they're like cone shaped so that they don't change direction. So they that's why they have to move their head anytime they want to change what they're looking at, which I had never noticed personally, although I haven't spent very much time in the presence of actual owls. And I'm not sure I would notice even if I did. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was just very interesting and it took me on a, another rabbit hole about vision in general. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it can kind of stress me out sometimes if I think too hard about how like <laughs> our brains are decoding signals from our eyeballs. It's um, all very impressive. Oh yeah. The fact that we're able to do it is mind blowing <laughs> in itself, but yeah, owl eyes are wild. Mm-hmm. Our next question came from the Fox Run Environmental Education Center. Another one of our buddies. Uh, Their question, this was a great question. I love this. This is, how has the podcast changed your relationship with the natural world and environment? I love this question. Mm -hmm. This is great. Um, So I do think that I've been a lot more conscientious of how human activity impacts the ecosystem around us, especially when it comes to things like the introduction of invasive species, um, which I think outside of already like environmentalist communities and stuff, it's not talked about like Mm -hmm. at all, especially when we live in Florida, which is one of the places in the United States that is the most highly impacted by invasive species other than Hawaii. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we've got it all. We've got domestic animals we've got reptiles we've got amphibians we've got all sorts of stuff that's here that did not evolve here and so it's having some detrimental effects on the ecosystem here so yeah i mean i've just been more thoughtful of how 
that happens. You know, I'll, I'll be outside and I'll see a little frog and I'll look up close and I'll realize it's a Cuban tree frog and which is an, an invasive type of frog here in Florida. And I don't have the heart to do anything about it. I, right. I leave them alone. But, um, you know, it, it makes me think about stuff like that more. Definitely. Um, and the other thing is that I do feel like it makes me less afraid of animals. Like, oh. There's a lot of animals that I'm really skittish around. Um, I still don't. I still don't bother with frogs. Um, they're too jumpy. I'm a little nervous around them. I'm afraid I'm like they're going to jump on me and I'm going to get startled and I'm going to hurt them. But it has made me less afraid of snakes. It's made me less afraid of spiders. Definitely. We've had a lot of really cool spider guests on who have helped me a lot. Feel way more comfortable with spiders. Mm. And also uh, recently did an episode on cockroaches that helped me a lot feel like helped me feel so much, so much less panicky around cockroaches. You know, like you see one <laughs> and like I used to be like if I saw a cockroach, I would probably scream sure. um, and be panicked by its presence. And I definitely don't feel like that anymore. Well, that's good. Yeah. For me, yeah, similar in that, you know, when I'm seeing animals now, I think more about where, you know, they sit in the ecosystem and, you know, their place and everything. Uh, but also, it kind of led me to take a bigger interest in the species that we find in our area, you know, be that, you know, our particular state or just our region of the United States. I just took a bigger interest in those kinds of animals. And you had a big opportunity throughout 2020 to get a lot more familiar with them because you spent a lot of time uh, with your work laptop in our backyard yeah bird watching yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's not exactly roughing it in the wild but you know got to see a lot of birds and um, the occasional turtle entering and exiting the retention pond (laughs) we have seen some very cool animals in our backyard our backyard is a happening spot for florida wildlife (laughs) even like animals that i'm pretty sure are not supposed to be there <laughs> yeah, I'm still waiting to see an alligator, but we'll see. I'm sure it's going to happen. To clarify, I've seen plenty of alligators, just not in our backyard. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and if we saw one, it really wouldn't be that big a deal. Yeah. Nobody really cares about alligators in Florida. They're well, really not that big a deal. Well, sometimes. <laughs> it's usually in the context of pets that people get worried. Yeah, that's true. So the next few questions come from our Facebook group, where yeah. I called for questions as well. This question is from our friend Brent Everfolly who asks, if we could revisit an animal that we've already done an episode on, which one would it be and why? And my answer is very self-serving. Very, (laughs) very early on, like episode five, I think it was, we did an episode on the blue glaucus sea slug, Mm -hmm. um, which is a type of nudibranch, which I pronounced nudibranch for the entire episode. It was very embarrassing once I found out that that was not how that is pronounced. And I would very much like a do-over for that. I love a shot of redemption for that one. <laughs> That's my answer. I would love to redo that. That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? Um, I didn't have anything specifically, though. If some new discovery or information about one of the species we talked about is you know published or something, mm-hmm. that would be a, a good reason to go back and talk about them. Sure. Maybe like reevaluate their score. Sure. Yeah, I think we've done that before. I think it was the manta ray where you didn't give them a great score for ingenuity. But then later on, uh, somebody came back to us and said that there had been a study on manta ray like social Mm -hmm. learning that showed that manta rays had identified themselves in a mirror test. Oh, yeah. I want to say that we went back a few episodes later and like gave an update on that. 
I think that happened. But I guess what I had more in mind was like, oh, this species turns out they're venomous. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't know that. <laughs> you never know. With some of those weird ones out there. Well, I think that, be... that sort of happened with the Komodo dragon, right? Because uh, I think for a while they thought it was just bacteria in mm-hmm. their mouths, but then they figured out they also have venom. Just for good measure. <laughs> Bren also asked, uh, I'll just throw this one in there too. Bren also asked if we could bring back any extinct species, which would you pick? My answer short and sweet glyptodont big round boy love them very much bring back glyptodont that's me okay i specifically looked for an animal species that not only went extinct during modern human civilization but also due to Mm -hmm. humans Mm -hmm. (laughs) so i picked the thylacine Mm -hmm. i just think it's wild that there's an extinct species out there that we have photographs of yeah we do because usually when you think of extinct species you're thinking of something from hundreds thousands millions years ago right yeah I want to say there's like more recent extinct species, oh, yeah. like passenger pigeons. and But thylacine is definitely like, gosh, if they had lived in modern and like our now times, mm-hmm. it would be something you would see in like zoos and stuff. You know, oh, I feel yeah. like it would be such a charismatic, big pole animal. Yep, for sure. I feel like they would be, you know, in like little kid books about mm-hmm. like, here's the animals of Australia. Have we talked about what thylacines are before? In the dingo episode? I oh, think. okay. Yeah. Yeah, we talked about So they're carnivorous before. marsupials, right? Right. Yeah. They look exactly like a dog. Yeah. Like some type of dog or wolf. They look like canids, basically. Yeah. But they're marsupials, which mm-hmm. are extremely distant. You know, they're as far as you can get from canids while still being mammals. <laughs> you know, like dogs are more closely related to like us <laughs> than they sure. are to thylacine. Like it's cool example of convergent evolution mm-hmm. how they look so similar and yet are so distantly related awesome animal mm-hmm. would love would have loved to see one next question comes from rob van Eck, who asks what is the biggest change in technology and tools to make each episode happen um i feel like i'm gonna kind of have to take the lead on this question yeah. um we got better microphones if you go back and listen to our first couple of episodes you can tell there's a huge difference because we have nice microphones now um, for people who are interested, they are Samson Q2U microphones. They're amazing. I've also started using better recording software. So mm-hmm. I use Squadcast for our guest episodes, um, which records so much better. I used to be recording over Skype or Discord, um, and that was fine for the time, but it was a huge pain, and Squadcast is so much better. Um, I've also started using Reaper for at-home episodes um, instead of Audacity, which is a free software, which Audacity worked fine. It worked totally fine. Reaper does something a little bit more intense that I needed, but Audacity, if you're just getting started and you're looking for a software to use to mix your audio or to edit your audio, Audacity is fine. Mm -hmm. We used it for two years. (laughs) Audacity is great. Um, I also bought an actual mixer for our microphones instead of using both of them as USB microphones and using like a virtual mixer. Yeah, I think those are really the only like tech updates we've had. Otherwise... It's pretty similar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I wrote here was, yeah, of course, you know, you are handling everything hardware and software wise. Mm-hmm. The only real thing I brought to the table in terms of improvement <laughs> was maybe microphone technique. Because <laughs> um, I have a tendency to speak softly and especially after long breaks of having not recorded. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Christian has a very quiet voice yeah (laughs) conversationally (laughs) i guess and by contrast i have a very loud voice so no you're just spirited (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay. <laughs> so uh, our it's funny because when when I record both of us at the same time, our levels look ridiculous. I'm yeah. like I'm super 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 nerfed, and like Chris's <laughs> volume is blown out as loud as it can go. Yeah, that's that's another use of the mixer, either software or hardware, is just separate gain levels. For yeah. The, for the microphones, making sure we're both audible, and I'm not screaming <laughs> over Christian. Uh, next question comes from Kevin Buxtens, who uh, Kevin asks, when you visit a zoo or aquarium, what are your favorite animals to see and your favorite types of exhibits? Um, tigers. Okay. Tigers. <laughs> if there's a tiger, I'm going to see it. If okay. there is a tiger in a zoo, I will make, it's a high priority for me to go see mm-hmm. the tigers. Otters are another big pull for me. I just, I love otters. Like otters are great, and also they make fantastic zoo attractions mm-hmm. because they're so playful and energetic. And like when you go see them, they're probably doing something. Yeah, they're yeah. not just like I love tigers and I love to go see them. But tigers are probably sleeping when you go sure. see them. They're probably not doing anything interesting. But otters are probably doing something interesting. Yeah. So my answer similar um, in general, just considering the animal. I usually love to go see the reptiles, mm-hmm. you know, like the, you know, the, the snakes, the alligators, that kind of thing. However, what ends up being my, my most memorable exhibits are always the ones where you happen to catch the animals doing something, mm. you know, where that be the, the elephant playing with a giant log yeah. <laughs> or, you know, uh, you happen to be there during a feeding, something like that. Cause you know, it's really easy to just time it to where every animal you see is sleeping, napping, just resting, you know, which is, you know, 90% of what they do. Mm-hmm. But it's always nice when you happen to catch them during activity. Do you want to tell them about the, the squirrel monkey that we saw that one time? Oh, yeah. Um, so at the Jacksonville Zoo in their South America building. It's like an indoor area where they have the like South American reptile exhibit. Then there's one part of it. They have squirrel monkeys that we call them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they have squirrel monkeys and we happen to catch. Well, (laughs) (laughs) we were watching when one of the squirrel monkeys happened to catch a small bird. Out of the air. Out of the air. This was a wild bird. Yes. (laughs) Um, And proceeded to eat that bird. Live. Yes. Just stuffed it right in its mouth and <laughs> you skipped over the part that also watching this scene play out along with us were like 10 little kids yeah <laughs> who started screaming yeah i won't go into detail because of our audience mm-hmm. but yeah. it was graphic yeah and it was right in front of the window too this was not like off in the background so it's like oh maybe they didn't see nope. like because the monkey had been right up against the window and was like being really, really cute. So mm-hmm. he already had everybody's attention. And so right as everybody was looking at this monkey, he just <laughs> grabs a bird out of the air and eats it live. Yep. Oh my gosh, that was unforgettable. <laughs> <laughs> I was bringing up every time too since that that we. I know uh, it's it's one of those things that like every time I see that exhibit, we've been <laughs> more times than I can count since then. But gosh, it it was very impactful. Yeah. But you know what? That's how you remember that monkeys are omnivores. Yeah true (laughs) (laughs) those kids will never forget Mm -mm. (laughs) uh next question comes from our friend christina sanders on facebook christina asks can isaac tell me more about animals 
If you've been listening for a while, Isaac is my son. He is seven years old now. And last year for April Fool's Day slash his birthday, he did an episode on an animal that is definitely very much real and he definitely did not make up with his imagination called the Doomerang. So um, he does desperately want to begin his own podcast now about video games. He would love to be on any sort of recorded media. He loves that stuff. He Mm -hmm. thrives on attention. Um, I may let him record something like maybe an intro or outro or some sort of bumper or something like that. You know, I, I may let him record some sort of element for the show. I'm mm-hmm. sure. I'm sure that will not be the last you've heard of him. Oh yeah. He's a huge ham. And I will pass on the message that y'all want to hear more from him. <laughs> Next question is from Claire Spiller, um, who is a great artist. Actually, I've got uh, a couple of prints that Claire sent that I bought from Claire's Etsy store behind me. They're really, really good. Um, nice posters. One of them listing pigeons of the world and the other one listing uh, like a whole illustrations of all these different venomous and poisonous animals throughout the world. Actually, mm-hmm. the blue ringed octopus is on there. Yeah, it's all that. Claire's a very talented artist. I love her work. And she asked, if you could dedicate your life to studying and working with any animal, which would you choose? So naturally, this would be really difficult for me to pick one. I feel like I would take any opportunity I was offered, literally just like any opportunity. If they were like, you got to go work with dung beetles, I would probably be like, all right, well, (laughs) sign me up. Um, I would love to do something that would allow me to work with a large animal, particularly like a rhino or a giraffe or something like that, because I feel like being up close to them feels really humbling. Like Mm. that's just a very... Uh, moving experience to be up close and personal with like a very, very large animal. It feels like knowing what it was like for dinosaurs to be walking around like that. I know that they're not related to dinosaurs. Sure. But, you know, that's just what it feels like to me is like <laughs> this huge beast just kind of hulking around just feels to me very like it's a great feeling. I've been in situations where I was up close and kind of personal with like large ungulates like that yeah Um, it's really cool so i think i would like to do something with like a large herbivore some sort of large ungulate that's nice yeah what you got sharks again (laughs) (laughs) we're back to sharks yeah because i i grew up in the era of what i refer to as the golden years of all of the animal-based television channels steve Irwin, right jeff corwin i recall things like zaboomafu and stuff like that but i was engrossed Mm -hmm. in you know steve Irwin and everything he was doing Mm -hmm. (laughs) that defines a large part of my childhood Mm -hmm. yeah and We live in Florida where we're pretty close to the coast Mm -hmm. of the Atlantic Ocean. And, you know, we're kind of around, we're not like, we don't see sharks like often, but they're close by. Yeah. You know, so like if there was an animal that you were going to study, sharks would be a pretty accessible one for where we live. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And for a while, you know, as a kid, had you asked me what did I wanted to be when I grew up, you know, marine biologist was up there. Oh, yeah, definitely. I wanted to be a zoologist for most of my childhood. Um, <laughs> you can see that, that that did not pan out. I'm very happy with the career that I have now. I work at a really great nonprofit. They do social services and like mental health support and sexual health and stuff for LGBTQ youth. Um, I love it there. Mm. I love where I work. I'm very happy there. And I feel like this podcast lets me kind of live out that sort of zoologist uh, dream, I guess. Be like, it's just a, it's just like an outlet for that sort of old childhood passion. You know? Yeah. 
Hey, y'all. Real quick moment before we move on to the rest of our questions to say thank you to our patrons on Patreon who support us and keep the show going. This week, we'd like to extend our warmest gratitude to the Mad Scientist podcast, Randall Bayman, Brent Vickstrom, Jacob Schick, Sarah Peterson, Dalton Weeks, April Kamick, Vikram Baliga, Julie Gilson, Paul Chomo, Christina Sanders, and Brianna Feinberg. Thank you all so much for being there for us. I also have a quick, fun little treat. I have a message from our dear friend and former guest expert, Dr. One Pagan, who joined us for episode 59 on Planarians. He was so kind as to send us a sweet little message as a congratulations on our 100th episode. Um, so if his voice sounds familiar to you, you uh, have heard him talk about flatworms before. If it doesn't sound familiar to you, go back to episode 59 and listen to him share knowledge about these cool little worms. So thank you, Dr. Pagan, and thank you all for listening. Let's hear from our friend and get back to our questions. Thanks, everybody. This is Professor One Pagan, a.k.a. Able Scientist, congratulating Ellen and Christian on their 100th episode of the Justice Zoo of Us podcast. Here's to the next 100 episodes. Keep it up, guys, because you're freaking awesome. Uh, next question comes from Jack Vest on Facebook. Jack asks, if you could give yourself any animal trait or characteristic, what would it be and why? My answer is that I would like to shoot blood out of my eyeballs, like the Texas horned lizard. <laughs> so refresh me. What, mm-hmm. was, what is the purpose there? It's like a threat response. Okay. If they're being like harassed by a predator or something and they can't get away, mm. they can like constrict blood vessels around their eyes that squeezes blood okay. out of their eyes and shoots it at the predator to blind them and allow them to escape. Okay. Yeah. It's particularly useful against coyotes and foxes and stuff like that. Not particularly useful against birds, but <laughs> <laughs> but it works really well on uh, mammalian predators. So it's it's a it's a threat response. Okay. That's all it is. But I would also love to be able to do that. If mm. someone that I don't care to speak with is attempting to <laughs> interface with me, then I could just... Pss, pss. You'd have to take your glasses off first. Oh, shoot. You're right. Oh, no. <laughs> but then you forget. <laughs> Who's that? Is it Cyclops in the X-Men that he lowers his glasses and shoots laser beams out of his eyes? Yeah, sometimes. That's me with <laughs> streams of blood that I shoot out of my eyeballs. I need to stop referencing. <laughs> I need to stop referencing superhero franchises that I have no information about. <laughs> I have not very much more than that. So, what uh, animal trait would you like to have? Bioelectricity. So, for example, electric eel. Mm. So you know, not actual eel, but you know, the knife fish family. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, zip zap. Yeah. That'd be neat. How would you use this power? Like, what <laughs> to enforce my personal bubble? Okay, <laughs> I guess what I was really asking is where would the electricity come from and emanate from? Um, are you talking like shooting it out with your no. hands, just well, kind of discharging with your whole body? Um, I mean, it would have to be similar physics to how it works for actual animals that use it, so it doesn't, it usually doesn't jump across air. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't really make it across an air gap for the kind of electricity we're talking about, but it does travel through water in close proximity and anything that physically touches it. Okay. So, so you can zip zap something that's touching you. Yeah. So I don't know. In the supermarket, people getting too close. <laughs> Back up. <laughs> <laughs> you just got a built in taser ready to go. <laughs> a built in six foot enforcement. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. We both went with 
animal powers that would basically <laughs> just enforce personal boundaries. I might take a shot at fishing. <laughs> just jump into the pond. Um, that's cheating. <laughs> Tell that to the electric eel. I will. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. Okay. Next question is from Spencer Seams. Spencer asks, if you could be any animal that you covered for a day, which one? I said, probably a bearded vulture because they're so cool. They soar up high in the, in the mountains, which means you're going to get great views. Mm -hmm. They're up in, you know, the mountains in, in Europe and seeing some just amazing stuff from up there. They soar over the cliffs. Um, they're big enough that they don't really have to worry about predators. So this would be like, if I was having like a day in the life experience, this seems like a chill hang. Like this seems like one that I wouldn't be spending the whole time, like evading predators or hiding or seems like a pretty relaxed day. Just flying around, looking at mountains, mm -hmm. eating bones. That's it. It's a good day. Okay. I would love a day as a bearded vulture. <laughs> well, to up the ante on your relaxation day, mm -hmm. I've picked the immortal jellyfish. So no thoughts, head <laughs> empty. You're not trying to think. You're not trying to. You're not trying to move. You're trying to just exist. Float around, eat, mm -hmm. contemplate the continuity of my own existence. The eternal, Sh endless continuity. <laughs> Ship of Theseus type thing. <laughs> <laughs> I think when we were watching WandaVision and when Vision said, have you heard of the ship of Theseus? And you went, oh, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> I was half expecting them to float over to the shelf of books because they were in a library for that scene. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just, <laughs> just pull out some reference material. You're like, oh, geez. <laughs> here we go again. And Spencer also asked, how long do you plan on going? I'm assuming with the podcast. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming you did not mean how long do we plan on existing on <laughs> this planet. I said indefinitely. I mean, I'm going to go until it's not fun anymore. You know, like I'm yeah. just, it's a fun and rewarding experience for me. And I'm just going to keep doing it in, as long as it is a fun and rewarding experience for me. All right. Yeah. I put until you're tired of me. Mm. I have horrible news for you. <laughs> I'm not stuck in here with you. I'm stuck in here with me. I won't quit. I'll just wait until I'm fired. <laughs> Are you going to keep doing a progressively worse and worse job until eventually you have to? I have to tell you that we're downsizing. Oh man, <laughs> cutting our workforce by fifty percent. <laughs> <laughs> how awkward it would, would it be though if i cut you from the podcast and then brought on another host <laughs> <laughs> next question comes from bo gant bo asked the animal that you absolutely positively under no earthly or heavenly circumstance would ever do a show on i said humans yeah um, I'm not trying to live that life, really. <laughs> just not trying to do it it would be really cool to have a sit down with like uh some sort of like anthropologist that maybe would talk about like how humans evolved with respect to other primates and like mm -hmm. what adaptations early like ancestors of humans underwent to adapt to different things than other primates. I'm super interested in all of that stuff, but I do see where there would be a lot of opportunity there for it to get really problematic really oh, fast. Yeah. So I'm just going to leave humans out of it entirely. <laughs> yeah. That's me. I'm not, I'm not doing humans. Okay. 
For me, I said any animal whose entire research or facts would fit within a single paragraph. Yeah. So kind of calling back to that one point I made about the animals that are really hard to do because there's just not a lot of information out there about mm-hmm. them. I love y'all so much, deep sea creatures, but <laughs> but we know nothing about you. I'll I'm so describe sorry. Describe this one picture from like 1920s. <laughs> just that's all I have. That's like there's so many and there's so many like really cool animals out there that's like we know something about them that's absolutely <laughs> off the wall, and that's it. I'm like, oh yeah, this one um, has 400 eyes. That's all we know. <laughs> It's question marks across the board for my ratings. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love those animals, but we can't fit them into a whole episode. Yeah. But I liked your idea about a lightning round. We'll have to come back to that. Okay. Okay. Maurice Inez Cadence asked, what was your favorite episode to make? My answer is that one that stands out was episode 64. This was the emu and the whale shark episode. Mm. It was really fun to research. Um, it was really fun to record. I just felt like we were really vibing that day. Yeah. It just was really fun. Um, <laughs> I was in a good mood. I was just really, just, just really proud of how it turned out. That felt like a felt like a win for me. It was, it was a really good one. Well, mine was the Ulm and Maine Wolf episode. That's pretty recent. Yes. And that one, because it was the first one we did coming back from baby break. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, that meant the first time doing anything related to the podcast at all after, you know, several months. Mm-hmm. Because as I may have mentioned before, you know, Ellen does everything. And the only thing I'm doing is my own voice and research. That's it. <laughs> so, you know, since I wasn't on any of those episodes for the couple of months, that meant I had no, I wasn't doing anything. So mm-hmm. it was nice to get back into it. Yeah. It was nice. And also, you know, the first time we were trying to record an episode yeah. with also a baby in the house. <laughs> it's rough, y'all. That's why this episode is late is because right. we have a baby. So you're just thank you for being patient with us. <laughs> Chris Brayton asked on Facebook, um, have we ever considered doing episodes on fictional animals for funsies? Yeah, I mean, we, we have for the April Fool's Day episode where, you know, Isaac talked about um, the, the Doomerang. That one was just kind of for for funsies. Admittedly, I've never really been super into cryptids. I fall really, really far on the skeptic end of things as far as like paranormal and supernatural stuff goes. So um, never had a lot of interest in cryptids, never really like followed along with Bigfoot or, sure. you know, any sort of urban legend cryptid stuff just never was my wheelhouse but i wouldn't be opposed to it i think it would be fun yeah you know like especially if if somebody wanted to come on who was like a folklorist or like uh you know somebody that that was interested in really going into Mm -hmm. like how like a cryptid fits into culture of the area or like i would be interested to go into like the anthropology aspect of cryptid. be like what inspired this and where do these like legends come from and stuff like that? I think that would be cool. Yeah. I, I find myself having little bursts of interest in cryptids that are just kind of flashes in the pan. <laughs> um, you know, the latest one was with Fallout 76 um, taking place in West Virginia. They incorporated a lot of the cryptid lore into the monsters you encounter. In that There's game. a lot of Appalachian yeah. cryptid like folklore yeah. in that area. It was pretty interesting. Um, but for me, if we were to do fictional animals, I would go pretty hard and just make one up myself. I mean, why not? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> go the route of making a D&D monster or something. Oh, make your own. Yeah. That'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> I'll write some lore for it. 
I know you would too. <laughs> you have a whole character sheet drafted up. So, I mean, that's kind of what we're doing, right? We're like basically assigning yeah. stats to the animals. Mm-hmm. Next question comes from our friend Vikram Balika, who, spoiler alert, you'll be hearing from on this show pretty soon here. Mm. Vikram asked, what's your biggest future goal for the podcast? I feel like we've accomplished a lot already in the two years that we've been at it. When we started this, there's no way I could have ever predicted that it would go this well. I think you can tell from our first couple of episodes that neither of us was really sure how serious this was going to get. Yeah. We were definitely doing this just for fun, just to see what the experience of like Mm. hitting record and making a podcast, like what that was like. It was definitely just like a for funsy sort of thing. But now at this point, we've had guests on that like I never could have dreamed that I would be, you know, talking to these people and collaborating with them on something like this. It was really, really cool. Um, You know, I've made friends, I've connected with a lot of really amazing people. And just overall, I would consider the podcast as it's been so far a pretty huge success. Oh, yeah. Um, Especially for being you and me a couple of randos you know like we don't have media connections we didn't have Mm -hmm. academic connections no science like no connections in like scientific communities or science communication or media or anything like that you know to go from absolute scratch i like you know are, are starting off with literally just like our friends and like a couple of immediate family members maybe um to where it is now i just i feel like Overall, it's been very successful. Um, We do have some stuff that we're working on behind the scenes that I'm not going to jinx by saying anything about it. Um, But we do have some... Pursuits. We have have pursuits that we're working on that are going to be very exciting. And that's all I'm going to really say about it because I don't want to jinx anything. Yeah. But yeah, mostly I just want to keep doing what we're doing because I really love it. I just want to keep making it, you know... I'm just quite pleased with it. (laughs) You should be. Thank you. It's gone great. Oh, we have one last question. And this is a really good question. This comes from our friends Beyond Blathers, who is another podcast about animals, about specifically the animals in the video game Animal Crossing New Horizons. Mm -hmm. And they asked over on Instagram, what's your favorite video game? Because they're about like the animals in a video game. Yeah. So you can see the connection there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I am going to say, this is obviously a tough question for me. I've spent many thousands of hours playing video games in my life. I've played very many video games and I've developed very intense com- emotional connections with a lot of video games. So it is gut wrenching to pick a favorite. <laughs> uh, but I think as an individual standalone game, I would say Horizon Zero Dawn is my favorite video game Um, because I feel like that is the game that I have been the most holistically impressed by. Mm. Um, So what I mean by that is that it really has everything that I want from a video game. So it has a compelling narrative, has a whole cast of interesting characters, has beautiful graphics and also gorgeous music. So it's like, it's a very pleasant aesthetic experience also on top of all of these other like Mm. great compelling elements of the narrative. But also the gameplay is really enjoyable. Like, I feel like sometimes I can get bored with narrative-heavy games because they focus so much on the narrative that I get bored with, like, sitting through dialogue. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I want the gameplay to be fun. And it really is. It's so good. Um, They have this sprawling map that's really exciting to explore. It's huge. And there's, like, a really diverse landscape with lots of different areas. So you've got, like, a forest and a desert and, like 
icy snowy parts and like a jungle with like ruins that have been overgrown it's just really satisfying to play and it's got zoids in it like what more do you want (laughs) like it's i feel like you know obviously i've spent thousands of hours playing you know pokemon games fallout games the skyrim games there's a lot of games i've spent a lot of time playing that i've been really happy about and pleased with that have played a huge role in my life but i would say that horizon zero dawn is my favorite nice yeah what about you i couldn't pick a specific one so i just <laughs> talk about the ones i tend to enjoy and those are usually rpgs so you know again skyrim final fantasy 7 remake and the original Mass Effect, Fallout, those kind of games. You've been on a Mass Effect binge. Yeah, because they released the what they call the Legendary Edition, which is just a remaster of the first three games. But I also enjoyed Andromeda, personally. I know that's sometimes a controversial take. <laughs> <laughs> An outlier, though, is Overwatch. And I say outlier because I'm not otherwise into strictly first-person shooters. For example, I, ha- I haven't touched a Call of Duty game in maybe a decade. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then, of course, an occasional story-driven, more linear game comes along that really sticks with me. Um, so these are things like Detroit Become Human and Lone Echo. Which one was Lone Echo? Lone Echo is a space game for VR headsets. Oh, yeah. Where okay. you are a robot in space in a structure that is orbiting Saturn, if I remember correctly. And the whole thing is you have to move around by using your hands, pushing off walls and stuff. <laughs> so that whole mechanic was just perfect. The aesthetics, you know, lost in space, perfect. The, the story was very compelling, too. Mm-hmm. So It was fun to watch you play sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, since I think people listening may be inclined to have an interest in the the intersection between uh, wildlife and video games, yeah, um, I will plug a few wildlife heavy video games. I played one a couple days ago. Really short, cozy, comfy, sweet, adorable little game called Alba. Um, it's called like Alba, a wildlife adventure. I think mm. is what it's called. And the whole game is just you're this little girl on an island that is, I believe, off the coast of Spain. And you explore this island and you take photos of the wildlife that lives there and you document the wildlife and you like clean up the island and rescue animals that like have their heads stuck in soda can, uh, (laughs) you know, the little plastic rings from soda cans, you know, like it's just it's it's not a challenging game. Mm -hmm. It's definitely a feel good relaxing video game alba it's really really cute abzu is a favorite of both of ours we both really enjoyed abzu that was very good once again not a challenging game this is a chill this is a game you're gonna play if you're just trying to hang out like you're just trying to have a good time yeah very immersive this abzu is a game abzu is how it's spelled and you the whole game is you just explore this like underwater environment and look at fish that's the whole game (laughs) yeah that's it (laughs) it sounds so boring when i describe it that way but it's really good and beyond blue uh which christian played i didn't play it myself but i watched you play it it was interesting yeah yeah more of an educational game yep than the Uh, other ones i played in the couple weeks that it had been released Mm -hmm. my only critique (laughs) was they didn't quite design the sperm whales correctly with the placement of their blowholes 
Oh, interesting. Yeah. So one of the facts I brought up when we talked about sperm whales is that it's not centered on their head. Hmm. It's skewed to one side. Mm, and they got them smack dab in the middle, huh? Yeah. From what I remember, at least, and they may have updated it since then. I don't know. I hope so. <laughs> but that's like, that's more of an educational game than yeah. the other ones. Like the other ones are kind of more about just like appreciating and exploring and like experiencing. But Beyond Blue is very much like a, you're learning a lot in the game. Yeah. Yeah. So it also comes in with a, a late game punch to the feels. So it does. Well, don't say too much about it. Um, so that's all the questions. Yeah. Thanks everybody for the questions. These were really good ones. Yeah. Lots of fun. Yeah. I like just hanging out with you Aww, and talking. It's always fun. You're nice to talk to. People that don't know you in real life and that only know you from listening to this podcast might not know, but th- you're exactly like this off mic. Like, <laughs> sometimes people ask me like if you're like this, like outside of the podcast or if this is like your on mic persona. No. <laughs> yeah. This is my um, in private comfortable persona (laughs) this is very much this is your uh just your at home personality yep yeah you really are this chill in real life (laughs) sometimes people ask me like if you're like wild off of no (laughs) it's just what you see is what you get thanks christian thanks honey and thanks everybody who sent in questions these were great questions this was really fun Mm -hmm. thank you everybody for being patient as this episode was being made very late we have a baby and we've been trying to get him to sleep in the crib and it's been a whole thing and you know running around with two kids in the house it's a lot we both we also both have jobs (laughs) that are not this (laughs) podcast Uh, so you know we we're doing it because we love you guys so thank you everybody for sending in questions thanks y'all if you like our podcast it would be super cool if you could like leave us a review on whatever you're listening to us on that would be really nice i would like that a lot makes me really happy when we get a nice good review so good you can find us on social media just look up just just the zoo of us i'm sure you'll get there Uh, we're on facebook twitter instagram um if you're looking for us on facebook you can like our page i don't post a lot on the page but you should join our group because the group is where it's at we're always like the group is happening the page is like i post episodes there the group though is where we're hanging out come join (laughs) our facebook group um hang out with us on social media if you have an animal you want us to talk about, you can message me on social media or you can email them to me. I'm at ellen at justthezooofus.com. And thank you to Louis Zong for allowing us to use uh, your track Adventuring off of your album B-Sides as our intro and outro music. We've been using it this whole time and I feel like it has done a great job of setting the tone yeah it really captures that energy it does it has our vibe right (laughs) it's very good and i feel like our vibe is a good one yeah we often get compliments on the wholesome nature of our vibe i think that the baby's waking up so this is a great time to wrap up all right here's to the next 100 episodes yes all right catch you guys later (laughs) bye bye (laughs) 